This is Zion Hebraic Congregation with me, Luke Tanner. This week's Shabbat message is by myself from the book of John chapter 12. Uh, feel free to come visit us if you are in the Seacare Coast area of New Hampshire. We are in located in Newfields. Uh, you can check us out on our website, ZionHebraicCongregation.com. There you will find archived Shabbat messages, my dad's blog post that he puts out weekly. You can subscribe to those if you put your email in the little subscribe box. Down at the bottom of our homepage, you can find links to our social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, we put stuff up there. Uh, weekly, different things. Check it out. Be surprised. And uh, you can subscribe to our Shabbat messages wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever. And uh, as always, our theme music is brought to you by my buddy, Evan Shaw. Uh, you can follow him on Instagram, evanshawmusic.com. His website is evanshawmusic.com. I'm sorry, his Instagram handle is just Evan Shaw music. <laughs> but anyways, he's wicked good. Check him out. All right. Have a good week. Enjoy. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does All right, Shabbat Shalom. If you want to turn to John chapter 12, that's where we're going to be continuing on, going through this book. Uh, we got nine, nine more chapters. Every other week, 18 weeks, we'll <laughs> finish it. Yeah. No, and it's actually been really kind of fun to go through a book, book chapter by chapter. I've never done, well, I think I went through Peter, first and second Peter, but, um, but I've never gone, you know, especially a book this big. If it was back in the day, like when you were doing three sermons a week, you'd whip right through it. <laughs> yeah, but I never did that. But yeah, we're in chapter 12. Um, just recap on, uh, on 11 was when Lazarus rose from the dead, when Yeshua went and raised him up. And... Uh, you know, he's doing all these miracles, and the chief priests and the Pharisees says, what do we do for this man does many miracles? If we let him alone, all men will believe on him. So they're feeling the pressure. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. So, and then the high priest prophesies about him dying, one man dying in place of the whole nation, which is exactly what he did. <laughs> he just didn't realize that it was, it was to redeem the entire nation before God, because that's what the whole principle behind um, behind what Yeshua's death and resurrection was, was to die the death of the firstborn. He was the lamb of God slain for us, which if you don't tie that back to Passover, 
you're not going to understand what that means. And the whole idea of sacrifice, that which you give of yourself to attain something greater later on and something that is a substitution for you that stands in place. But it has to be a like kind for like kind or greater than, than, than. And so that's why animals cannot ever um, redeem you unto God because an animal is not worth as much as a human being is. Sorry, animal lovers. Uh, but that's just the reality of it. And that's why God himself is the only one who could die and who could stand in place for the entire nation of his people, whosoever would believe, not just one ethnic group and race, but whoever uh, believes in him. He can stand in place to take the penalty of sin, which happened to mankind when Adam and Eve, our forefathers, sinned and got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And so... Um, I think there's a big misunderstanding, especially within Christianity, what actually Yeshua did when he died. It, yes, he, came, he died to take away your individual sins, and it's, it's individual, but individuals make up a corporate body, and that corporate body is the nation, is his, is his body, is his firstborn. So you have all these terms, all these things connected together that uh, form these ideas and these concepts and these unified body of of, of context by which we understand the scriptures. And so Yeshua didn't come to get you off the hook so you can do whatever you want every time you screw up and you just say, I'm sorry, and then you can go back, back out and do whatever you want. There's still, there's still consequence for sin. If you murder someone, it's the death penalty, okay? And so, it, but, but you can be redeemed unto God from your eternal separation but you will still go to jail if you rob a bank. Okay, there's, there's still physical consequences. That's why Yeshua, when he died, did not change any of the commandments. Like there's ideas in Christianity that, well, thankfully he died and did away with stoning our children or some of these, what we consider barbaric things in the Old Testament uh, that Yeshua died in, uh, to do away with any of that, which he did not. He died to remove the curse of the law which is separation, which is death from God. And so he, uh, that's what he did. He died the death of the firstborn. So it's an important concept. And the high priest didn't really understand that that's exactly what he said. He, he, he would die in the place of the, of the nation. Um, so anyways, it's just pretty cool, neat stuff. And then he goes into Ephraim, which is where uh, the northern kingdom uh, is known by and they get scattered and all over the earth. And uh, then I think it's a prophetic picture of what's gonna happen because God is now going out, he's sending forth his disciples unto all the corners of the earth to spread the message of the gospel, which is his, the coming of the promised Messiah to redeem his people from their sins so that he can build his nation again, come sit on the throne, rule and reign happily ever after, you know. It's really pretty simple concepts. If you just take the Bible at face value at what it says, but if you try to twist it into a whole bunch of myriad of things, it gets all turned around into something that you can't even freaking recognize. And so that's why it's so important to read the Bible for itself on a very simplistic level within the context of the time in which it was written. You need to understand all of those things. 
And if you pull it out of context and you try to make it sound, say what it needs to say, you know, it's interesting to me because I think that's what's, I know, that's what's so needed in our day and age, in our time, because there's so many people who, you know, I, I interact with a lot of people, obviously, that aren't from here. And so, uh, you know, they, and I tell them, oh, I can't, you know, do whatever and such on Friday night or on Saturday because we keep the Sabbath. Well, what's, this, what's the Sabbath? I mean, most of them have no idea, one, what that is. If they kind of do, they assume it's Jewish. And then to try to explain that you're not Jewish, well, what the heck are you? Well, and, and so <laughs> I was talking to one guy, two guys actually. The one guy kind of had a vague understanding. He grew up Catholic, but, but left a bitter taste in his mouth. And then the other guy was completely un- unchurched, shall we say, had just had no biblical exposure. And so I, so I tried to explain it as simple as I could. And he's like, well, you lost me. I'm like, don't worry about it. <laughs> and so, you know, how do you even explain it all? Because there's just, like you wrote in your blog, shameless plug, the Messianic movement and the Hebrew rot movement. Uh, it's just a a chaotic mess out there. And like you wrote in your blog, Dad, uh, you know, instead of trying to figure out or try to quantify ourselves, we don't, we don't need to, to, to quantify ourselves to the world. They should be able to, like you said, they should be able to see what we do and, and they may not be able to like name that or figure out what that is, but I kind of I like that, you know? You're, you're a bit of a mystery. And that's what I think sparks, sparks people's interest. Because you can say, you know, here's what I do. I don't really fit into a mold. I believe this is what the Bible teaches when you just read it for face value at it, what it says and actually do that. Shock and awe. Uh, and so, and then you could say, and if you want to learn more, you can either come or we can go and talk more or pick up a Bible and read it, <laughs> you know. Um, so, I don't know. I think there's a big need for just the simple, basic, informative um, I don't know. This is something I need to work on probably. There needs to be uh, a lesson series. I don't know what I want to call it necessarily, but like, you know, for people like those people I talked to, you know, one who was a Catholic or the other guy who basically grew up knows nothing about the Bible. Like, how, where do you even start? Well, I think you need to start at the beginning. You know, one, is there a God? If so, if it's a God of the Bible, then you got to take it at what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, you know, and then, and then unfold from there and go, you know, kind of topographically step by step through, through the scriptures so that, you know, you can have a basic understanding. If you dump somebody into John or you dump them into some, uh, you know, I don't know, um, what am I trying to say? Denominational understanding of, of the Bible. I mean, welcome to mayhem, you know, it's just, it's just full of you know, it's sad. It's so sad, really. That, like, to try to find the truth, it's, it's, like, it's like, where's the pee under all the cups? And all the cups look the same. Except it's eight bajillion cups, and there's one pee, you know? That's why I've dealt, like, most of my clients or people or friends that I talk to, it's like, just read the Bible. Just read the Bible. Don't go anywhere. Don't get online. You know, that's why I hate even to say, oh, I'm we're messianic because of course they're going to go home and google that well that's going to be a frigging cuss show it's like do i really want to align myself with all that nut? not really 
Anyway, okay, let's start. That was fun. <laughs> I digress. John chapter 12. Okay, so he, he, raises, he raises up Lazarus. Here we go. John chapter 12, verse 1. Then Yeshua, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. Uh, there they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment and spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Yeshua, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? Then he said, Not that he cared for the poor, or I'm sorry, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief, and he had the bag, and bare that which was put therein. So he had the money. This is, that should be a sign, you know, the money and uh, the corruption within quote-unquote organized religion is, is really bad. It's a, it's a disaster. And, we're do, and the, don't think that the Hebrew roots or any of these online ministries are any different, you know. Uh, yeah, anyway, I'll, I'll stop there. So he's a thief. Seven, then Yeshua said, let her alone. Against the day of my bearing has she kept this. For the poor always ye have with ye, but, but, ye, uh, but me ye have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he uh, was there. And they came not for Yeshua's sake only, but that, that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. So it's kind of a spectacle. You got Yeshua, who's raising people from the dead. You got Lazarus, this, this guy who was dead. Now he's walking around. And you got Miriam, who's anointing her, his feet, uh, wiping it with her hair um, because she knows he's going to die, basically. And, uh, and so Jude, and then you got Judas, Judas, the bad guy, who it basically has no concern for the poor. He just wants the money. Um, I find it very interesting that he was in charge of that anyway. You know, why? Why? Maybe that's not the right question, but... You know, why did Yeshua allow that? Like, he knew he was the bad guy, but yet he allows him to be in charge of the money. I don't know. It's interesting. It's almost, not almost, it's oftentimes if you are inclined to an evil tendency, whether you're Judas, who's, you know, just obviously the, this, uh, the archetype of evil, or uh, you're just a regular believing good guy, shall we say, air quotes, but we have our inclination to evil, God tends to uh, give us what we want, whether it, whether it tends to be good or evil. And so it's like, you want to go that way? Oh, there you go. Okay, here, have, have more, you know, and you just end up digging your own hole. So I just, I don't know. I find that fascinating. Nothing quite profound there, but interesting. So, um, so all these people are wanting to see him. 10. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. So they're like, we can't have this dead guy who's now alive walking around. We got to kill him again. Or not again, but we got to kill him. He's got to go away. We got to snuff him out. We want him all dead. And, and I, well, the other thing that I find interesting to, to me uh, is, and I think the same holds true for today's day and age, as, as I believe that we, we approach, uh, you know, the, the hearing the footsteps of the Messiah coming, I believe as we, 
whether it's 100 years or 200 or 500 years, I believe we're heading into the end of the end times. Maybe. I don't know. It feels like that for whatever that's worth. Uh, <laughs> uh, feelings. Um, I lost my train of thought. Uh, oh, so who wants, who's the enemy and who wants them dead? It's, it's their own religious authority leaders, right? Are they really having much problem with the Romans? Well, I mean, yeah, they're, they're taxing them and giving them H-E double toothpicks and that's a problem. But who's actually the problem? It's, it's a religious authority who they're theoretically a part of. So I think that's somewhat of a model of, of where, where does the persecution, where does the problem actually arise? I don't think it's actually so much, although we can see it through history to some degree, obviously, but so much from the government, the powers that be that we need to go dig holes and pile tons of guns against, it's, 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 it comes from within, so to speak. It's, the, uh, it's those who should have your back. Um, not that they're all bad. We know that there's, you know, uh, certain, even in, in when we read the scriptures, good guys within the bad guy camp, so to speak, like um, Nicodemus, things like that. But that's where uh, the problems tend to come from. And that's what we get warned against. That's what Paul talks about. So, you know, I, I, after my departure, many false teachers will come in speaking damnable heresies. You know, the, the, it's, it's from within. That's why we have to have, we need the gift of, the gifts of, you know, people are getting big on the spirit and feeling what, you know, I don't care about your freaking feelings. Like if, it's a little harsh, but uh, I'd rather you have the gift of discernment, wisdom, knowledge, teaching, eight bajillion times more than any of the other quote-unquote miraculous, you know, one that hit the paper tongues or healings or whatever. I mean, all that's good, but the threats, the actual real threats and what is actually needed to keep us consistent and, and alive and functioning and potent in this life is, is our ability to have discernment and wisdom and knowledge of the scriptures so that we can, you know, walk this life with a consistency, be a light, not stumble ourselves, and be able to teach the next generation. I mean, without those things, you know, you can be healing people all over the place. All that is is ooh, ah, and then we all go back to our stupid lives, you know? And that is, what, what does that actually, what fruit does that bear? Not much, not much. Okay, here we go. The next day. Uh, uh, so they want to kill Lazarus. 10. But the chief priest consulted that they might put Lazarus all to, to death, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Yeshua. So they're seeing that he's raising people from the dead. They're losing followers. So they're all following Yeshua. On the next day, much people were uh, that were come to the feast. When they heard that Yeshua was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of Yehovah. Uh, that's from Psalm 118.26. And Yeshua, when he found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, behold, uh, uh, sorry, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. That's from Zechariah 9.9. Then these things, uh, these things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Yeshua was glorified, 
Then remembered they that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. So they're fulfilling these prophetic, or he's fulfilling these prophetic uh, prophecies, uh, these prophecies about him on things that he would do, and that he would enter as the king. Um, 17. The people, therefore, that was with him, when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. So they, they kept an account. They, they remembered these things. For this cause, the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees, therefore, said, said among themselves, uh, uh, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world is gone after him. So, so they're really feeling it. And uh, everybody's gone after him. And, there, and there's, there's speculation, or not speculation, or there was reports. I don't know, somebody, I can't remember where I read it or heard it, but it was this idea that, that literally most of, of Israel at the time, or those who were in Judea where he was, were, were, were his followers, at least in, in name, we'll say. That his following was growing humongously. And that uh, it was not a small thing, and it was a big deal what was going on, and they were really feeling the pressure of how many people were uh, starting to follow Yeshua. And so as soon as that seed, pun intended, gets planted within the people, then they're going to start to doubt and not listen to the Pharisees, Sadducees, and uh, uh, chief priests because Yeshua lambasted them. And uh, because they were not keeping his word, they were not speaking the Torah correctly. And so that's what his, his beef was with them. Plus, they didn't believe he was the Messiah. So, uh, 20. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came, therefore, to Philip, which was of the Sayed of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Yeshua. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Yeshua. And Yeshua answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Very verily I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that uh, hateth his life in the world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my uh, father on earth. So let's back up a little bit here. So he's talking about this corn of wheat falling into the ground, dying. So he's talking about himself. Like he, if he, if, if basically if he were to, if he did not die on looking at this on, on one level, if he didn't die and he's just stayed alive and he just hung out in Jerusalem, what would happen? Everybody would just hang out with him in Jerusalem, right? But it wasn't time yet for the kingdom to be rebuilt. The people's hearts, the climate, all these things were not as they should be to rebuild the kingdom yet. And so it was expedient that he should die because when it's kind of the old archetype. I mean, you see this in, in, in movies all the time. The hero dies and because of that, everyone rallies and then they go forth and greater things happen because he dies than if he were to stay alive, right? It's the same idea. If he dies so that then his followers go forth, they're men motivated, and they carry on his work that he started basically to a much larger degree than if he stayed there and they all just hung around him. You kind of see this in some of the ultra-Orthodox sects. They have their one Rebbe, and they all just hang out around the Rebbe, and they hang out in all their neighborhoods, and they just, they're just right there. 
And that's kind of what was happening here. Same, same idea. So he's saying, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, to buy alone. If it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So it needs to go into the ground. It needs to uh, spring forth back up onto life. And it'll produce more fruit than it would have if it had just stayed one corn plant. So then he kind of goes on and says, the same thing goes for you. If you love your life, uh, you're going to lose it. And you're just, that's just it, just you. But if you, if you willingly will give your life into the service of God, I don't mean sell everything and go to an island to be a missionary, although that is one way to do that. But to just live your life unto God, it will produce more fruit than if you try to, uh, if you're afraid of, of serving God or you, you hold back, it will stifle growth and, and fruit production. So, all right, 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause I came unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And the people therefore that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, an angel spoke to him. And Yeshua answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. I find it pretty interesting that, you know, this voice of heaven in, in Jewish literature, they'll, they'll reference, they'll, they'll, they'll drosh and they'll tell these stories to kind of teach a moral point. And oftentimes there'll be a voice from heaven, God will speak. And so on, on this, this instance right here, you have, uh, you know, you're leading up to the end and Yeshua praying and God himself, the Father, he, he answers, but it wasn't for him, it was for the sake of the people who were there. So it's interesting. And it also, I believe, it harkens back to what happened on Mount Sinai because you had the thunderings and the lightning. And so it seems like whenever God speaks audibly that people can hear it, it's, it's like thunder to some degree. Yeshua answered and said, verse 30, This voice came not for me, but for your sakes. 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of the world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. So uh, he's talking about his death and also the defeat of, of Satan because uh, when his, his death is going to conquer sin and to conquer uh, the hold that that has on, on, uh, on the world, essentially. And so, and which is the power of Satan. He, he's the prince of power there. He's all about death and, and bringing people down. So, verse 33, uh, or 34. The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Messiah abideth forever. How sayest thou the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Then Yeshua said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he go. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be children of the light. These things spake Yeshua and departed and did hide himself from them. So, you know, they ask him this question because they're kind of confused. <laughs> and, he, and he answers them with a clear answer, but, um, but, but kind of in a parable because those who will understand will understand and those who won't understand won't understand. And so he says, well, we've heard from the law that Messiah abideth, how saith the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who's the Son of Man? They're saying, like, well, I don't understand where he's going. Where he's going. And it's, but he's saying, you know, he's going to die. 
He's going to be lifted up on the cross. He's going to be buried. Then he's going to go resurrect and go up into heaven. Uh, and then he says, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light. Lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may be children of the light. So they ha- need to have this faith in him. They need to have belief. And then when they, when they, when they are believed, they are transformed into the, his family and they become children of the light. And you see these, the word like light and darkness all through the scripture. And the light is really, the light is synonymous with his word, uh, with the seed of the word of God, with the spirit, uh, with God himself, with Yeshua. They're, they're all the same thing different dimensional aspects, we could say, and different functional aspects, but they're all the same thing. Thirty-seven. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. So you have, you have some obvious group of people here that he does all these miracles, they're seeing everything that's going on, but they're not quite sure. And some believe not. So you got this some group that does believe, and they are in the light, and others that don't. And so they don't understand. Uh, 38. That the saying of Elijah, so back up. The, uh, but though they had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. That the saying of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spoke, uh, which he spoke, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's in Isaiah uh, 53.1. Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. That's from Isaiah 6.10. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. So you have these prophecies that some would believe, some wouldn't believe. Why or how that happens, I don't know. All I know is that's in the sovereignty of God. And he's a just judge. He knows all things. Uh, but somehow intertwined, we have free will and an election. How they work together, I don't know. But God's perfect, and it works perfectly somehow. So, uh, 42. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him. So you do have some of the chief rulers. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. So you have some believe, but they are uh, they're weak. They are not willing to pay the price of confessing him openly because they would be put out of the synagogues. Again, this is kind of something important to understand that if you, if you stand and confess Yeshua honestly, the synagogues, Judaism typically as a whole, is not going to want you. So, you know, because there's a, there's a movement within the quote-unquote Messianic movement, Messianic Jewish uh, world, wants to be friendly with, be cozy with, and I'm not saying be unfriendly and be antagonistic towards, obviously, Judaism. I mean, we love Judah, our brother, and we pray for them that they will accept the Messiah and see him as the Messiah, and that they too would come to know him. But... The truth of the matter is, uh, those, whether Jew or Gentile, who do not accept the Messiah, if you stand and you uh, say, Yeshua is the only way, that's not going to sit well, and they're going to want you out. Um, so, 
don't try to go back into the synagogues. Don't try to go back into Judaism because they, uh, that's not where the truth resides anyway. So um, they don't want to be put out of the synagogue. Why, 43? They love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Because the praise of men, you know, uh, the adoration that you get, it makes you feel good about yourself. The praise of God, there's no immediate gratification from that. <laughs> when do you get any gratification from that? Probably in the next life. But there's no, there's no temporal reward for that, really. I mean, there, there is on one level, but it's kind of between you and God knowing what's right. It's more of a deep... I don't even know. De uh, appreciation, I guess. And then just an understanding and a thankfulness that you get between you and God. Whereas the praises of men, you know, you look good, you feel good, you're, you're something, or you think you are. But all that's temporal. It's really meaningless. But it's a real thing. And, and, and people are afraid to confess Yeshua or to be honest because they know they might pay consequences socially, life-wise, status. Uh, what was I list? Uh, yeah, anyway. So, he's saying all these things. He's talking about, so let's not lose the context. He's, uh, they're asking him um, back in 34. We've heard that the law, from the law, that Messiah is by the fire. Who, who's, uh, how sayest thou the Son of Man must be left? Who is the Son of Man? So he's talking about the light. And then, he's taught, and then the writer, John, is kind of giving you some context from Isaiah. And then he kind of goes into saying how some of the chief rulers believed on them, but they wouldn't confess. So you have the, he's, he's kind of giving you this picture of these different groups of people that uh, they're seeing everything he's doing. And they're seeing the evidence. Some believe. Some don't believe. Here's why. Because of the prophecies. Even some of the rulers believe, but they're afraid because they want the praises of men. So you have all these characters character dimensions that are being brought forth explaining you know who does what and why so then you kind of pull back into the story verse 44 Yeshua cried and said he that believes on me believes not on me but on him that sent me and he that seeth me seeth him that sent me I'm come a light into the world that whosoever believe on me should not abide in darkness and if anyone hears my words and believe not I judge him not for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words, that one that judges him, uh, hath one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father saith unto me, so I speak." So he's saying, I'm not here condemning and judging you. The words that I speak, which are given by the Father, which are just fulfillments in the same thing which was already written by the prophets in the, in the back of the book, uh, in the beginning of the book, those things will judge you. Kind of like where he says, uh, um, in another place, I can't remember where it is right now, I don't judge you, Moses in whom you believe will judge you uh, because he wrote of me and you don't believe in me so he's kind of saying the same thing so he's he's seeing all these different people groups those who are kind of seeing he the miracles he did but they're like what not believing you have the leaders who 
believe, some who don't believe, some who confess, some who don't confess. And he's, he's crying out and saying, um, he that believes on me, believes not on me, but him that sent me. So the Father, which they say they believe in, is, 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 you know, who he represents. And so they're one and the same. Well, you need to understand that and you need to, uh, I mean, that's such an important message because you've got, you've got, even today we see it. It's like, well, the, you know, Judaism says, no, the father and that guy, Jesus in the New Testament, those are two different guys. They did two different things and two different messages. And then you have Christianity on one side that says, Jesus came to do away with the Torah, so they're kind of saying he's a different guy than that old guy in the Old Testament, which is the message that gets sent to the whole world. Like when I told my friend that, uh, that we, um, we're like Christians who keep the Old Testament, and he's like, whoa, that, uh, that old part of the book, that God was crazy. <laughs> you know, so he, he thinks Old Testament God, crazy, brutal, bloodthirsty God. New Testament Jesus, blonde hair, blue eyes, love, peace, hippie Jesus, you know, crossing your pocket guy, <laughs> which is just such a fabrication because if you actually read the New Testament, he's not like that at all. He would have been kind of a prickly guy almost to, to, to be around. Um, yeah, I mean, if you were what you needed to be, it was all good. If you weren't what you needed to be, it was not all good. Kind of like Paul, kind of like, and I mean, and then to say that the, the, the quote unquote God of the Old Testament was just a bloodthirsty God is to, to, to just speak out of ignorance because you, if you, again, if you actually read it, I mean, he had long suffering mercy with them, you know, till the cows came home. You know, he waited and waited years. I mean, years. Like, how long was Ahab on the throne? You know, and he didn't do anything? You know, why do you think the prophets were like, when are you, when are you going to do something, God? You know, he had patience on Nineveh. You know, and we forget, too. We forget. We tend to whitewash or just not think about the horrid wickedness of those people who were judged during that time, including Israel. I mean, it was horrible, terrible things, which even by today's standards, we would look back and say that was just horrific and terrible. Uh, but we somehow forget about all the evil people and focus on that, that quote-unquote evil, bloodthirsty God who just wiped everybody out. Well, where's the justice if you allow some horrific you know, murdering, raping, pillaging people group that are devouring themselves and everything around them to still exist, is that, is that merciful? Is that good? No. Sometimes the merciful good thing is to drop the nuclear bomb for, for all those included on both sides. I mean, you know, life is ugly. Sin's ugly. And, and, and things go to hell in a handbasket really quickly. You know, so don't stand here and tell me my God is a, is a cruel and unjust God while, uh, while you won't say anything about the Babylonians or the Assyrians who they rape, pillage, and decimate and record it on their walls proudly. Whereas Israel 
says if you go to war with another nation and you see a woman who you'd like to take for, for a wife, you, there's like a whole stepwise process. You know, it gets flipped around and said, well, they're so misogynistic and these poor women that they dominate and dominate. You know what was normal back then? The normal thing was to go in, rape all, everybody, kill them, have a few slaves on the side afterwards, and, and then go find the next people group to destroy and murder. So, sorry, no. Israel and the God of Israel was incredibly merciful, just had standards, took care of people, cared about those who they even conquered, even to the degree that you weren't supposed to cut down the trees of the place that you were conquering. I mean, you know, they, they were, you could not even compare the levels of civility with Israel as a nation and those other nations around them. So, anyway, that just makes me angry when people say, well, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. No, it makes the one evil wicked guy blind instead of having an entire nation who just wipes out and desire, devours everything around them in all kinds of horrific atrocity you can't even friggin' imagine. And the only reason you say that is because you live in the, a sheltered uh, pixie dust and rainbows artificial world that's like a friggin' fairy tale only because we have the moral foundations of biblical Judeo-Christian heritage, but people are so friggin' ignorant and have no idea the depths that of that life and the world can descend into, you know, that only then from the, such an ignorant, blissful, stupidity-ridden state can they make such statements. So, there. We've had it so good. We don't. We don't know what evil looks like. Because we don't know history, and history doesn't even get taught. It wasn't that long ago. Okay, anyway, this is, this is going well. So anyway, Yeshua is pleading with them, saying, I've come into the world as light. Believe in me that you won't hear, abide in darkness. Hear my words so that you won't be judged. Because God is a just judge. You know, as, as we, when we think about that's the other thing. We, I, I, because we live in a world and in a country that's so peaceful and so prosperous, we don't ever have to think about big questions. We're not faced with death except when somebody near us dies. And so we don't have to deal with anything. And so, you know, but, but I think there's people out there who are wondering. And so we, need to, we have a job in which we need to spread the truth of God's word. There is a God who did create things. He has standards and he expects things of us. Uh, so, you know, we need to, we need to represent that when we live this life. So let's pray. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does Face on the mount of your grace and your.